With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. California on this 9.31 a.m. side of dawn. Hope all is going well. We have a crazy guest going on today. We're going to try to get this connection going. She's on the East Coast getting ready for a one-woman show. He's Sosa, I call it. He's someone. She's one of the coolest people that I know. Let me give you a little her background over here. But first off, a good morning to you people. What's happening? Thanks for tuning in. Hope everything's going well. And Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. All that good stuff. You have Happy New Year coming up. Don't do anything crazy. If you do anything crazy, make sure there's no cameras or cell phone cameras around. All right? So listen, let's get to the groove here because this actress, advocate, she has so many titles, wears so many hats. I don't know where to begin, but we're going to give her a little bio on her. Sosa is an award-winning actress, writer, directress. She was born in New York City and growing up was reared in New York, New Jersey, California, Jamaica, Wataguan now, and Virginia. She has received several awards and distinctions since becoming since the beginning of her artistic career, including 2008 Brooklyn Arts Regrant and the 2007 Francis E. Williams Artist Grant. Her work as an actress has screened in numerous festivals worldwide, on BETJ in the MoMA, and in 2008 Whitney Benignio. For five years, she played the role of Milady in Adoka, award-winning show showing Plantanos and Collard Greens, Collard Greens, I'm saying with the Congolese African, so again, there's Plantanos and Collard, Collard Greens. For those that don't know what Plantanos are, that's a fried banana to us, cast from the East Coast. 
Anyways, recent independent film projects include leading and supporting roles in Brooklyn Shakara, Unguarded, Seasons of a Woman, and The Exposure, and The Imperialists Are Still Alive, which was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival. She was also chosen at the Grand Prize as the Grand Prize winner of the Ford Fiesta Captain Call and was featured in the 2011 Ford Fiesta online campaign and commercial that aired nationally on BET. As a filmmaker, she has written and directed several short films to date, including Simple as Black and White, 2004. In 2008, she directed Coming Home. And in 2007, she lends 50 bucks in Argentina, which was NTVU Film of the Week and Best Short at the Nigerian International Nigerian Entertainment International Film Festival. Based on the merit of her first short film, she was a featured finalist on the MTVU reality show, Meet or Delete, where she was handpicked as the winner by producer-director Joel Schumacher. She was recently chosen for a Young Filmmakers panel by the New York Mayor's Office of Film, Theater, and Broadcasting. She is currently working on several upcoming film projects, including a short film she wrote and will direct entitled Diary of a DC Diva and a feature film entitled One Night in Brooklyn. People, let's see if we can get on the line. You know we like our ambush phone calls. Let's see if we can get on the line here. Sosa, are you with us? Uh, Mr. Sosa, do we have you on the line as yet? We're going to try her again. All right, so people, let's continue on this group, take a little musical break here. Let's do a little, um, you know, we got a little request here for some little bit of house music. So let's see if I can give you just a little here, all right? Hold on.
put to an end there because I believe we have our guest. So is that you? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> oh yeah. For a second, I thought you. You know, we were like, you know, they asked me, "Fat is she in Lagos or Abuja or something like that? What's going on? How you feeling out there, girl? Good morning. Good, good morning. How are you? Or good afternoon over here. Uh, How are you? Can't complain. We're rocking a little house music, a little bit of alone here. We didn't want to do the Roger Sanchez mix. That's about three days long. You know how that gets down. Right. All right, my dear. We have you. Finally, we've worked so long. We have put a couple of bribes here and there through your agent, through your manager. <laughs> you know, we had to call the governor of Nigeria, had to talk to uh, <laughs> President Obama. He, he wanted to verify my credentials, make sure I was here legally. Okay. We are here about you. How are you doing? What's going on? What are you doing? Tell us about the show you have coming up. I already gave you an intro, the African intro. It took about five minutes. We already know about your plays you've done. We already know about the awards you've won. What's going on, Mrs. Fosa, today? You have the floor. Okay. Um, I'm getting ready to go to Ithaca, New York, um, which is the home of my alma mater, Cornell University, um, to perform a one-woman show about Hatshepsut, um, who was technically, in, in technical terms, the first female pharaoh. There were pharaohs um, before her that ruled, but they never ruled in their own right. They always ruled as co-regents. Um, so it was, it was, and she's also very special because she's a woman who, kind of, she just took the throne. She took the throne and she legitimized herself, and then she ruled peacefully for like over 20 years. So um, she's an interesting character, and I'm excited about it because um, um, I'm going back to Ithaca um, for several reasons. One, um, Cornell, I went there, but while I was there, I studied at um, the Actors Workshop of Ithaca, and my acting coach, um, the first woman that I ever took an acting class with was there, and we've been friends for over 10 years, and she knows me exceptionally well, and so she's directing it, and I, you know, I was looking for a one-woman show, like I've always wanted to do one, I've been inspired by Roger Guinevere Smith, by Anna DeVere mm. Smith, by um, Whoopi Goldberg, her first one-woman show, The Spooks Show, um, mm. um, by Sarah Jones, who did Bridge and Tunnel. I mean, I just, I really, really studied one-woman and one-man shows for a really long time, and I've always been like, oh, I would love to do that. And then finally, it's just like, yeah, I would love to do it, and I can do it. Like, I came to the to the realization that I could do it, Um I would say maybe about a year ago because I was doing a piece for um for V Day. It's the you know, the yearly thing, Eve Ensler's thing where you put right. on shows, you know, um, to end violence against women and I played a, a a girl from the Congo and I and I was um it was just me on stage and, and it was a long piece. It was about like twenty minutes hmm. and Everyone was so moved by it. I mean, the material is it's great writing, too. It was a piece written by Eve Ensler, and it's just about a girl who survived sexual slavery and, and goes off on her own. But um, the material was really great. People were really moved by it, and I experienced what it was like to, like, be on my own on stage and that I could actually hold my own. So I was like, okay, well, now that I've had this experience, I feel more comfortable jumping off the bridge and being like, okay, let's try and, <laughs> let's try and do a whole play. Go, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So that's what I've got going and on I, at the moment. Now you got this play. Let me ask this question because, you know, I've converted, you know, for, for what they say in our law area, uh, for disclaimer, I've actually spoken to you several times. I've always enjoyed the vibe, the love, what I always, you know, I get from you. But they all, I've, I've always heard from my actor friends that, 
a lot of times you find yourself uh, or a piece of you in the role that you play. Yeah. Did you find when when this role when this role you're currently doing as the queen, the pharaoh, came to you, what what clicked with you? What did you say? Oh my God, that's me right there. <laughs> well, the thing that's so crazy about this is that. People who know me know this, and then they probably, someone, people who know me really well would probably just laugh because they know why I would be doing this. But I've always, I've always had this really weird um, affinity for ancient Egypt, and I studied it a lot. And I um, realized that their diets were similar to mine. I have this whole thing on the Kemetic diet, and 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 I remember there was this one moment I was working on a film set. Actually, it was that Lee Daniel movie. Precious. I was working behind the scenes, and we were in the Brooklyn Museum, and um, there were all these, you know, uh, ancient Egyptian statues and everything. And everyone had this moment where they were looking at the statues and they were staring at me, and they were kind of like, "Yo, like, are these your people? Or like, what's 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 the deal?" And um, and so like in my head too. I mean, I didn't think I was going to be doing it as a one woman show, but in my head, I always was like the one of the roles. You know, I have like a I have an arsenal in my mind or in my heart of like things, types of people that I would like to play. And I always right. knew I wanted to play some sort of ancient Egyptian person. I didn't know who it would be. I mean, it could have been Nefertiti, it could have been whoever. But when this, when I discovered this, it was like no brainer. And, you know, it's like one of those things when you have a vision and then you just run into something that's just like obvious that it's mm-hmm. you. You're like, wow, like that's me. I'm, I obviously have to do this. And then on top of that, on the personal level, it's like, had Shepsut, what she represents, because I'm very pro-woman and in, in not in like the feminist burn your bra type of way, but in a, in a like, I believe that women should be women and I believe that women can be in power and I believe that we can do a lot of things, but I also believe that there is strength in embracing our, our true femininity. Like there, I don't really completely believe in this whole idea of, in order to get ahead, I have to take on completely, completely what a man does. I mean, but, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I very much feel like Hashepsut's her. She has like a very strong will to to be the best and to be somebody. She wants to be like the forerunner, and I, I definitely um, empathize with that. And then I also empathize with her. She was like a bit of a, she almost had to take on a male, like she started, you know, representing herself as a male in statues and stuff later because society wasn't really ready for that. And she kind of just, you know, took it on slowly but surely. And I understand, I I understand that for some reason, maybe it's because I was a tomboy and whatever. My parents always made me feel like I could be whatever I wanted to be, even though I was a girl. And I know that sometimes, you know, and culturally women are not, you know, treated that uh, like treated like we can do the same things that men can do. But my parents never treated me that way, and I've always felt I was always the girl like uh, you know playing basketball with the guys and like doing ridiculous <laughs> things like that. Um, so, so yeah, I really I knew that this part was meant for me to play, so it wasn't really a hard decision. And it seems like looking at your background, so you know, I gave him a little taste of a. Uh, your creative side, especially your directing side, where I had mentioned um, Simple as Black and White, Coming Home, 50 Bucks in Argentina. In, it, in a time or in the the story, the tagline has always been, you know, from my actor friends or in Hollywood, oh, I can't get work, I can't get work. Yet 
you're, you seem to be the other side of the coin. You're acting, you're directing. I mean, you've directed almost, it seems like almost every other year you're directing a project. Where does this come from? Where does this drive come from? What's this vision that keeps you moving like that? Um, well, it, it, it came from, like, when I first, because I didn't think that I wanted to be an actress, and then um, I, you know, I got bit by the bug, and then, you know, then you get infected by the bug, by the bite, and then you're like, oh, my God, like, I'm an actress. And then <laughs> I was, I had these awesome mentors, and they were people that are, like, working actors in, in Hollywood or whatever, and, and they were like, but at the time, like, I, I was I was just seeing people, I was seeing black women that were, you know, people that I thought should have been doing a lot more, and I wasn't mm-hmm. seeing enough of them, and I was saying to myself, well, I'm, you know, I don't want that. Like, I don't think that I have to settle for a career that is very limited because of my race or my gender, and I really feel like... um if I want that, then I'm going to have to create that. I'm going to have to take ownership of it and, and start creating it. And I remember after, like, years of training, and I had just finished conservatory in New York, and I was kind of, like, moping around because I didn't have any work going on. And um, a friend of mine who's a screenwriter who's awesome was just kind of like, listen, like, I know you've won playwriting awards. I know you're a writer. I know you do this stuff. Like, why are you moping? Like, get off your ass. <laughs> go write something and then I wrote something and then I was like oh crap like who's gonna make it you know and then I was like uh I and I'm just not the type of person who could wait for someone to find someone so then I was like okay I'll just direct it you know and so it just kind of just kind of like you know willy-nilly just went that way it wasn't like I was trying to I feel like the the I only got into directing because I wanted to create more work for myself and I feel like I've always been a writer for, first and foremost. Like since I was little, I've written poems, I've written all kinds of things. So the writing part would never go away for me, um, in various forms. But I, I just, I came to the realization that, like, you know, you you have a choice. You can you can be an active creator of your career, or you can be a passive, you know, person. And like, I mean, I feel like acting in itself kind of is it leads you to this to this kind of existence where you can be at the will of the casting director, the agent, the manager, everyone. You have nothing under your control. I mean, it's really the only thing you have under your control is your talent and your skill, but that alone is not going to get you anywhere necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do the best that you can in, in projects that you that you do and then hope that by some miracle and luck that that project takes off, which which is great when it does, Right. But then, right. but it's still something that's completely out of your control, and you have to live this life where you're like, I am surrendered to the unknown. I, I don't know when I will be discovered or people will recognize my talent. And it's just like I am such a control freak. I just cannot handle it. I'm just like, listen, I need to like have some sort of, you know what I mean, control over my mm-hmm. career. And and also, I think. Then I also know that I am I I feel that I the based on like my looks even um, the way that I look my hair I have dreadlocks I'm not something that you see a lot of times and I knew that I, I know that I might have to show people who I am and what I'm capable of and also kind of give myself permission to play roles that I'm interested in because. 
people might just look at me and put me in the Rasta box or whatever. I don't know. Um, and that's not, you know what I mean? And that's not who I am. So, I, I mean, I have to create projects that show who I am and what I'm capable of. And knowing, and again, I got a few, you know, got a few uh, texts and emails here when I read your intro. The first question was, how can we get in contact with her? How can we get down with her program? Because people were really amazed to hear when I talked about your movies and your acting and you're coming from Cornell. Here's a question for you, since you're such a control freak and you have to run everything. <laughs> Sorry. How- <laughs> I didn't mean that way. Oh. I just... <laughs> oh, that's, probably, that's probably how we get along. <laughs> I'm saying, I ain't lying. <laughs> we're African. I'm not lying. <laughs> so, how much were you in control when you were handpicked by Joel Schumacher for your project, Meet or Delete? Um, that was really random. That was one of those, yeah. you know, moments where you're like, oh, wow, luck really struck me. Um, <laughs> 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 no, for real. Like, I was like, wow, God looks like me today. Um, <laughs> no, like, because I wasn't even looking for that competition. That's the thing that was so odd about it. It was one of those moments where I think the girl at MTV, some assistant at MTV was like, Maybe she was scouting for people. I don't even know how she ended up on my page. I don't know. But she saw that I was a filmmaker. I don't even know if she saw my work. And then she asked to see my work. And I said, yeah, no problem. What is this for? She was like, oh, this competition. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. So I sent it to her. And then she's like, oh, you're a finalist. And I'm like, what? A finalist in what? <laughs> like, And I'm like, okay, I'm competing with these other filmmakers. And Joel Schumacher is going to choose the winner. This is crazy. Um, and then... And then the thing that happened that I feel like was just the luck of God, maybe, but I feel like part of the reason why, I mean, I Joel is is pretty awesome person. And if you look at his story, it's pretty awesome because he came from a costume design background, but wanted to be a design uh, to be a filmmaker. And he just understood me. Like I, you know, I studied fashion and I was a fashion designer. And that is how my brain, like, that is even to this day, like, even with film and everything, I I think about fashion. And even with my characters, I think about, you know, like, the clothing, the costuming affects me a great deal. And and so it's just, I don't know, there was that synergy, and he thought I was cool, and he was like, all right, cool, she writes, and she does, she's done fashion stuff, whatever. And, you know, so God God liked me that day. (laughs) (laughs) That's my only explanation. Looking at the body of work you're putting together, it, it's really unreal. I really wish, you know, it's, it's very inspiring because when I spoke to a few folks um, who were interested in the industry and were kind of waffling because they, they weren't too sure about, you know, can I do it? Can I make it? You know, I'm from this background, from that background, I look like this. I actually showed them your IMDB page and showed them some images of you and showed some of your work and, Ninety-nine, the the one the the remaining person was still like, I don't know if I'm as good as her, but the remaining ninety-nine percent was saying, okay, if she can do all this stuff, then I can do all this stuff. And eighty percent of that ninety-nine percent was women. So that is what I want. That's what I hope happens. You know. You inspired a whole lot of them. Well, let's switch uh, switch a little gears. I want to ask this question. You're coming from night, you know, Nigerian background, so you have to give love to all my Niger folks out there. What's going on, people? (laughs) Waving the flag. You know, we have the. uh, we have the uh, the West Coast and Central Africa here on the mic. You know, I'm sure people don't like the conversation, but they'll get over it. But I've noticed several years ago there was this influx of Australians um, 
No, we'll switch it a little. Yeah, we'll say uh, Mel Gibson, though he, he was born in New York, grew up in Australia. Uh, we have um, the gentleman from Gladiator. Oh, his name is Casey. Isn't Nicole Kidman Australian as well? Yep, Nicole Kidman Australian, yeah. Hugh Jackman, uh, Russell Crowe. Then it kind of flowed over to England with Helen Mirren and the awesome Patrick Stewart and a mm-hmm. lot of great other actors and actresses. But lately I've noticed, and I've brought this up, and I think you already know where I'm going, there seems to be an influx of a lot of Nigerian actors and actresses. Attack yeah. the Bloss, John Boyega, who, as Moses, who just destroyed that movie. Everybody keeps, is just talking about him. Right. You have the brother who gave me right now in Plan V8. He's the lead. I believe he was in Raising the Sun, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. You have uh, yourself. What is going on with this? I mean, I believe. Don't forget Adapero Oduye, who's the new. Put the names out there. Put the names out there. she's also a fellow Cornellian. And then Benga Akinagbe. Um, It goes on and on and on the list Mm -hmm. of Nigeria. It's your show. Don't forget Tuitel as your four. It's your show. Explain where this is coming from. You have Haz Hakim out here in L.A. Raz Adolji coming from um from the UK also. What is going on? Is there a reason to this madness, or is this one of those things God's favor? Where do you think it's coming from? And it um, seems to be quiet as can also. I um I don't know. I know that um uh, Nigerians were were special people. Um, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we definitely have a lot of drive, and you know we go for what we want, et cetera, et cetera. But um. I I don't know where it's coming from. It's um I just feel like it's just one of those situations where it's like we they come like we're coming like watch out for the Nigerians and I think it's also like you know Nollywood is doing its thing but then there's all of there's a whole whole um you know generation of artists that are really talented and that are outside of the continent that are kind mm-hmm. of coming into their own and it's kind of happening in tandem so i i mean i have no explanation <laughs> for, for the, the second coming of nigeria i don't know i don't know what's going on but i think it's pretty groovy and um i'm excited to be nigerian right now Woo! Yeah, team. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really seems to be a wave i know when i was in new york some time ago i was talking to a mutual friend of ours chet anekwe we had this conversation and right it, it seems to be, though, it doesn't seem to be referred to as the Nigerian wave, as it was the U.K. wave, the Australian wave. It seems to be they're just, you know, our brothers and sisters are just popping up in these productions, and it's like whatever, whatever. And sometimes, because you know how we can switch back and forth with the accent or the dialect, they sound, they'll sound so almost USA-born. It's not until you see the credits, you see the name, like, oh, my God, they're Nigerian. Yeah, well, I mean, but that's, you know, but that's what – that's the thing. Like, I'm I'm working on my feature film right now called One Night in Brooklyn, and we're getting ready no, to about do about. Um, fundraising for it. It's about a group of Brooklyn bohemians who declare it Trans-African Independence Day and throw a house party. And um, my whole thing about this, like, you know, the core behind this film for me is a trans-African movement. And what I mean by trans-African is a trans, trans-African means that I he, I am a Sosa, you know, I am not afraid to honor where I came from and allow that to inform how I express myself today. And I feel like there are so many first generation, second generation. I'm first generation born in this country. And we're just everywhere. I'm not even just of Nigerian background. I'm talking about like diaspora. And mm-hmm. and people are coming into their own and people are are complicated. We're complicated. Some of us speak our language, some of us don't. 
you know, some of us were raised in Brooklyn, but we got Nigerian names and whatever. It's like we're we're complicated. We're we're and we're coming into our own, and we want to see ourselves. And I feel like there's a huge opening for projects, for films, and for actors, and for people who kind of represent that that kind of ambiguous trans African thing, where it's like, yo, I'm I'm repping Nigeria, I'm repping Congo. I'm repping Ethiopia, but I was born here or I was born in Europe or I was born wherever. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. I'm definitely flowing with that. You know, I, I know you know I know that background very well. Exactly. You know, You're one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because um they, I think a good friend of mine had a good na- a name for us. I was born in Kinshasa back home but grew up here. I think she referred to us as the bridge culture. How we okay. can go back and forth, back and forth. Mhm. And we look at your work and we look at our fellow Nigerians and fellow Africans, trans Africans, as you say, it's really interesting. Do you think that brings a unique perspective to the projects or the roles that you take, that you can see it from several different lenses? Oh, um, most definitely. I was actually, I mean, in reference, this is related to my film project and also related to, to everything else. I was having this conversation with my associate producer on One Night in Brooklyn, and he was, I mean, one of the first questions he asked me when he understood my vision was, how did how did someone like you come up with this? Like, you know, you went mm. to Cornell and you seem like you're kind of middle class. Like, where did you come up with, like, your ideologies? Because my ideologies aren't very necessarily Nigerian. Um, I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know if I, there's a way to categorize it, but I explained to him that, when I was at Cornell and I was studying fashion, I really started to also just, I studied a lot. I studied the history of black theater. I studied the history of black film from birth of a nation to the present. I wrote, I mean, I like film theory, all these things. And I really was kind of looking at, and then from the fashion standpoint, I was looking at social movements and ideology. And um, these things really have shaped me as an artist because I've, I've always been, uh, once you, I feel like once you have an understanding of what art can do and what kind of system is in place right now and images, how powerful images are, my understanding has kind of pushed me to to focus on specific types of roles and specific types of, you know, um, I definitely have a bit, I feel like all of that stuff has influenced the way I think. I mean, I everyone from I don't know Amiri Baraka to you know mm. uh, you know it's just I, I just the Black mm-hmm. Panthers all these things all these things were things that I absorbed and then in addition to that I really looked at the film archetypes and the types of the types of roles that Black people have been given over history and these kinds of things made me really think critically about so I'm not like the normal, you know, I don't think that a lot of um African American or African descent actors really really critically have an understanding mm. of the way black people have been positioned in cinema since the beginning uh, uh, of of Hollywood. And I don't think they really know. And I think once you kind of look at it, you can't be the same. You mm. can't you don't look at anything as just, oh, that's just a funny role. That's funny. You kind of look at it like, hmm, I wonder what that means. I wonder what, what what that's getting at. I wonder what ramifications that has for different things. You know what I mean? You can't just be yeah. like willy-nilly like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that, you know. Hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. That's 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 where my thought process comes from. And um, 
that's kind of who I that's that's who I am as an artist and I've embraced that and I've 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 that's the path that I'm on. So seems like you have a lot in common in terms of and we're all unique, but the more every time I look at your work and converse with you, I think about Prince because you know, I think as an actress, again, you're the actress, so you know that world much better than an actor. You know that world much better than I do from that lens. But I remember when the time came out, a lot of people didn't know Prince was behind that because he wanted to show people that he can do different kinds of music besides, you know, the funk. And if someone was to look at your name and then look at your image and then look at your body of work on three sheets of paper, maybe the name and the image they might be able to put together, but the body of work is so eclectic and just so varied. It's really, right. I think it's a testament, as you said, that you, you critically analyze what you're involved in. You critically analyze, you study the work, you study the material. And it just seems you have such a diverse background when it comes to your talent. So on that note, why don't you tell us more about your film that you're working on? It's your film. It's your platform. It's, it's all about you. Tell us about the film. What's going on with that? Oh, well, the film, um, uh, I came up with the idea in, like, um, probably late 2007 and I wrote the first draft in 2008 and it, it went on and did, did pretty well at some screenwriting competitions and then I got a grant from the Brooklyn Arts Council I developed it more and it's really like the script is really in an awesome place which is great I mean you have to take the time to develop it and um, and now like um, probably early February we'll be launching a, a fundraising campaign for the film Um uh, crowdfunding, and then we're also doing um, additional funding. But the the goal is to shoot it by the end of um, 2012. We're planning to shoot in the summer of 2012, like late summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, um, the driving force behind it comes from sort of some of the things that I was just talking about. But it was, it was one. It came from a very personal place in that I, I, you know. I loved all those early 90s things like A Different World. I used to watch that every day. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Oh, I watched the reruns. I, I watched it when it was yeah. on. Um, I, I loved school days. I loved, you know. And then I also loved all of those, you know, multicast dramas that didn't have African Americans in them, like um, like Joel Schumacher's, um, why, am I, why am I losing the title right now? Uh... Mm. Not Batman. No. Why am I losing the title? I'm getting upset now. Um, but like Reality Bites, you know Reality Bites, which is mm-hmm. like a cast mm-hmm. drama. Um, mm-hmm. Like I wanted to do something that had multi, like that had co- uh, characters that actually had real culture and flavor. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I kind of took this whole place that I was in. I was at a house party with a friend, um, and she's a Cornellian, and there were a whole bunch of us there, and some of us were doing the corpus thing, and some of us were trying to be artists and manage the day job thing. And, you know, all of us were also trying to have, like, meaningful relationships. And mm-hmm. I was like, yo, when was the last time someone did a house party movie? And I thought about house party, which I also love. Uh-oh, house um, party, all right. All but right. I wanted it to be a, a a story that had characters that were ridiculously specific, like we are in real life. Like you're ridiculously specific. You know what I mean? I'm ridiculously specific. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to have these films where we're just like monolithic black people? So in the film, there's, you know, a Nigerian MC who was born and raised in Brooklyn. There's an Ethiopian-American girl. There's a girl who survived Hurricane Katrina and moved from New Orleans to New York. 
Um, there's a Dominican guy. I mean, it's just very specific. And I just I wanted that flavor in there, and I wanted to create these fun characters and have them go through this, you know, coming-of-age moment where they all kind of realize, like, on this one night, you know, that um, they can't keep doing the same things they've always been doing. They have to grow up, you know? So it, it's a, it's it's about, you know, on the basic sense, it's about something that everyone can understand, that moment where you need to learn how to pay your bills on time and, like, <laughs> all these things. Um, but it's but it's I'm doing it in a way that I, I, I want to show a nice range of, you know, culture and not just like, okay, we just have this one type, you know. And the funny thing is, too, that all of the women in my film, we all have very, very distinct looks. And St. Elmo's Fire, that's the Joel Schumacher movie. It just remembered. Uh, it's going to drive me crazy. Um, yeah, St. Elmo's Fire. It's kind of like St. Elmo's Fire mm-hmm. meets House Party-ish, sort of, you know, mm-hmm. because there's there's drama in there as well, as well as comedy. Um, and, yeah, so... Everyone has very specific looks, and we're all, we're not really, you know, we're rocking the trans African aesthetic. None of us are weaved out or permed out, actually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all kind of rocking our natural uh, thing. And, and then as far as the male characters, you know, um, the Nigerian Brooklyn based MC, he's kind of um, a rapper who's on, on the conscious tip or whatever. So, I mean, I, I just, I feel like they're, you know, not only are they diverse images, but there are images that are positive and things that people need to see because we need alternatives to everything else that's being shoved at us all the time. We do. Yeah, you know, I definitely agree with you on that. <laughs> you brought up, you, you, yeah, you know, don't get me started. <laughs> so when you have your network television premiere, I'll come on your show and I'll start running my mouth. <laughs> I might not, I might not be invited back again, but you know, you guys it with love for the people. Your, your, the one thing you brought up something about your hair, because has there ever been a role where someone has made that an issue? Um, that says, okay, that has to go, or can you put a wig on, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, back in the day when my hair wasn't so long, that was one of the things like people were always like, can you put a wig on it? Can you put a wig on it? Um. <laughs> And I used to be able to put a wig on it, but my hair is too, it's too long at this point. The thing about my hair is that, you know, I mean, I don't, you've seen my pictures. I, I do so many things with it. So it is possible for me to look like a different human being, <laughs> even with this hair. But as far as the whole perming thing, that's never going to happen. So, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, and I know that it, 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 it limits me because I know, I mean, the, the at the end of the day, you know, natural hair is not the dominant aesthetic, although it's not, it's, it might be becoming it. Like more women are definitely taking that on, so I won't disregard that it could be become, you know, the dominant aesthetic, but right now it's not, and. um and so, you know, and I know that a lot of people look at it as a hindrance and they don't actually really know what can be done with it and they kind of put it into a box. But but I that's not really my concern. I, there's nothing I can do about the fact that, I, you know, someone looks at it and doesn't want me. Well, then I'm not the right person for your role. Then You know what I mean? No, I'm definitely with you. Do you think from that lens it comes – I remember – when Dreamgirls came out some time ago, 
And yeah. it actually came to my mind when you bought something, and uh, Sister Beyonce was up for the role. Right. And I believe she, she made a comment along the lines of she was just going to come in and just, you know, practice the lines and just study, you know, just study the role and just figure out how she's going to perform on camera and things like that. And ironically, the, uh, the earlier that day, me and some of my colleagues viewed Lady Sings the Blues with Diana Ross. Oh, my God, one, one of the, my favorites. Love Diana Ross. One of, uh, she brought the mission as it had to be brought. But when we were watching the commentary, she said something along. She said her exact words were, when I was offered the role, I said I would do the role, but I want to do research, not introduce to the character, but the character's background, where the character grew up from, where the character come from, what did she go through, what was her relationships with, other, with her friends, how what, did she have a husband, did she have a father, what was going on with – she talked not as a singer from the Supreme, she talked as someone from the theater, right. you know, inside actor's studio or something like that. Now – you brought up something in reference to how you study film. You study the culture. You study the history the, from different lenses, not just one genre. You study everything. There was a time back in the 60s and early 70s where hair was the Afro. It was more the natural. And yeah. then it somehow changed in the 80s. Yeah. And it seems to be almost coming back a little bit now. Do yeah. you think a lot of people, because they don't study the films of the 60s and the 70s to see how it didn't really affect their roles, you think that plays into why something as my, just as your hairstyle might be an issue, like, well, I want to keep it uh, permed up, which is fine for the sisters, it's no problem, but there's that variety we have in the community. Do you think there's a lack of knowledge of earlier films and work that may be a, par- a part of that issue? No, I mean, that has nothing, I don't think that knowledge of earlier films work has anything to do with hair aesthetic. Hair aesthetic comes down to straight up what is the dominant idea ideal of beauty and and unfortunately as there are a lot of people i mean i think that for well i should say fortunately a lot of black women are taking it upon themselves to finally determine for themselves what that is um and i think that's what they were doing in the 60s they were like this is who we are da 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 and then crack came and everything <laughs> went down the hill <laughs> so <laughs> So, you know, I just, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, this, along with the whole idea of, like, trans-African, like, going back to your roots, that kind of thing is is okay. People are embracing that more and more now, again, as they did back then, but in different ways. Um, and I think that, you know, because of that, there's more of this natural hair aesthetic back on the rise. Um which is awesome, but 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 hair in general. I mean, I just feel I feel the same way that I feel about you know hair in relation to like the modeling industry. It's just it's completely political. It's it's political, and it has to do with what the dominant ideal of beauty should be to to whoever certain people. But I I think that the only way that that's going to change is more people take it upon themselves to decide for themselves what their idea of beauty is and rock it and 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 talk about it. Be who you are, be who you is. Be who you are. Yeah, be who you are. I have a uh, can you answer a question that just came into the chat room? You have a second here? Sure. Uh young lady here, she said her age her age shall remain anonymous. Okay. <laughs> she, lo- she loves your she loves your she loves your words. You're inspiring her. You're really making her. You're really 
I'm trying to get her writing here. I think she's doing shorthand text as people do these days, and I don't read shorthand text. You know, you ask whatever. But she's saying you're inspiring her to really commit herself to the acting career. She she says, I looked at your IMDb. You graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Textiles and Apparel Design from Cornell University. So you're a Cornelian, as you said. She's L-O-L. She loves that term. She wants to know how did you make the transition from that background, textiles and apparel design, to acting. That's what right. she'd like to know. It seems to make no logical sense, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what had happened was um, <laughs> I was um, before I went to college. Like um, I, I was one of those kids who kind of came out the womb. Like I'm going to be an artist. My my kids were like, mm, my parents were like, mm, no, you're not. You're going to be a doctor, right, or an engineer. <laughs> and I was like, no. You know, like, everything they threw at me, I turned into something creative. So they were like, do computer engineering. I was like, you mean graphic design? (laughs) Like, it was just really ridiculous. So even before I got to Cornell, I was making clothes and selling them to people at school. It was ridiculous. I was, like, doing fashion magazine stuff. It was always a thing, a part of me. And even when I, you know, was in high school, I was, like, the best dressed because I was always buying clothes and rocking all these weird things. So it was I was so sure that I was going to be a fashion designer. And then... My senior year of high school, I randomly, I had done a lot of sports and all this stuff, and um, I was in choir, and that year the choral director didn't put me in the choir that I wanted to be in, and I was kind of pissed about it. So I was like, okay, fine, I won't do choir. And then some drama kid was like, yo, we're doing this play, The Crucible, we don't have anyone to play Titchy but the Slave. I was like, stop. Um, <laughs> so I, w- <laughs> so I went and I did, I had no idea what the heck I was doing. I found some modeling, I went audition for it, got the role, but this is a weird part that's weird. So I did the part, right? Mm-hmm. I got so wrapped up in it. I felt like I was actually there. I freaked out all the drama kids, and then I got nominated for an award at the Kennedy Center for, like, it was like the equivalent of, like, high school Tonys. Like, I was nominated for an award for my performance, and I was like, this is really strange. So I went to I went to college, you know, I had already signed up for fashion design. I went to college kind of like, well, let me just, like, you know, check out this whole acting thing because that was kind of strange. Like, it was my first time. Maybe, like, there's something there. Maybe I should check it out. So I um, I got to, got to Cornell studying fashion, still really deep into fashion. I did a lot of fashion shows. I, I did several fashion shows a year where I would do my own collections. I got grants to do my own collections. I was really into it. But at the same time, I enrolled for acting classes outside of of my curriculum, and then I also became president of Black Theater Productions, and I wrote, uh, I, I co-wrote a play, and then I ended up writing. It just, it's just one of those things where it just kind of like led one thing to another. It's like I was taking acting classes, I got way too into it, and then um, I started auditioning for, you know, stuff. And the theater department there wasn't, they were doing, they had these annoying diversity disclaimers, but then they didn't really put on plays that had a lot of um, black play, you know, black playwrights or had a lot of black characters. So me and some colleagues of mine were like, listen, we're going to do black theater productions and, you know, you guys are going to have to do black plays. And we started just kind of like doing our own thing. And then um, by the time it got to my senior year, they had finally, they had did Raisin the Sun, and then they finally did a play with a black female protagonist, and I played the lead in it, and 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 that was cool, but it's like, it was one of those things where, 
it was one step at a time, you know, things just kind of overtake you until one day I woke up and I was like, oh, my God, I guess I'm an actor. You know, I just got more into it and more into it. And then I was like, I guess I guess I'm doing this as, as well as this. I don't know what to do with this, but, you know. Yes. Here's another question for you from Armand in Italy. We have listeners everywhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, Armand in Italy wants his question is, what do you like most about your profession? And since you have several. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> He's like, since you're a schizophrenic, just explain to me. <laughs> Thank you for the question, Aman. That's Aman in Navarro, Navajo, Italy. You, that's his question. He said, since I have several, explain to me, explain to him what I like. What yeah, because like he, he just sent a, a follow-up because you do, you're an activist. He's, he's been doing research on you. He goes, you're an activist, you're a model, you're a playwright, you're a director. So he goes, uh, for time's sake, because you're doing so much, uh, the acting and the uh, any advocacy work you may do. What do you like about your profession? Thank you, Armand. <laughs> Comedy. Um, so Wait, what do I like about acting and about advocacy? Yeah, you can pick. He says you can pick one. Okay. Well, um, I'll get on a soapbox for a second. As far as <laughs> advocacy, um, I. I don't know where it came from. Maybe it came, I, I don't know what it came from, but um, I think it came from some circumstances in my life and seeing women in certain conditions. But I really just have this, like, undying passion for women to be free of violence and also to be um, to be prosperous and to be allowed to do what, what we as women can do. And, um, and so that's why I've been doing um, V-Day, um, every year and what i like about it is what i like about that portion of it is that when you do advocacy and especially when you do advocacy as an artist it's like you're telling i'm i get to tell this story as an actor that affects people but then that you know making them cry or making them whatever may make them think or act differently towards somebody and or give give to a cause that's really important and I think that that's a that's a that's a facet of performance that has to be used more. We have to use our vehicle as artists to affect change. Like, why are we given this? You know, we're not just given this to tell horrific stories that whatever, but we should also be given using the, our tool to empower people, to make people think about other people differently, to make people treat people better. And um, so that's what I love about like mixing those two things together. I don't even know if I'm answering his question. He's like, this girl. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of questions are streaming in for you, so. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, but yeah, but in general, like, I am an artist. I, let's just put that title on me because I, I used to have this horrible feeling. Like, it was it was horrible. I just felt like, when I decided to become an actor and then there was some time afterwards where I felt like I had to put myself in the quote unquote actor box, but that's, I'm more, I'm more than that. Obviously I, I just, I'm an artist. I have various ways that I have to express myself and, and, and it keeps me going. Acting is something that um, I know that I, I like, I, I never want to not do. So there's that burning passion, but all the other things are things that I love that, you know, fuel me as well. And I think it's it's great to have variety. 
And our friend here writes in. He says, thank you so much for taking the time to answer that question. He okay. says, you're inspiring, oh. you're inspiring and you're beautiful. Oh, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's the next question. You ready? Yeah. This one comes from Sarah in Miami. She says she grew up uh she grew up that she was adopted at a young age, so she always had questions about who to look up to. Says she's been raised by beautiful parents down there in Miami, and she's been thinking about getting more into uh, advocacy. I'm reading her writing here, so bear with me. Okay. Her main question is: Her question is, who are your heroes? Whoa, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I hate questions like Thank that. You, We're Sarah. like, dang, I really have to, I have to bring it now. Um. <laughs> Uh, my hero, oh my gosh, my heroes. <sighs> well, my dad is one of my heroes, um, if that counts. <laughs> He's one of my heroes because he um, he is somebody. I think I got this this thing from him where he just doesn't. He really has taken complete ownership of his life and he's the type of person that has created such success for himself but done so with so much opposition. He dealt with a lot of racism when he first came to this country. Um, He dealt with a lack of resources. He didn't have parents to like coddle him through everything and he got his PhD and he started his own business. He's an entrepreneur and he does many things as well so he inspires me a lot. Um, he's one of my heroes. And then um, hmm, I'm really inspired by I'm inspired by Eve Ensler. I'm inspired by a lot of women who, like, fight for peace. I'm inspired by Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, the first uh, female president of Africa. What? You go. Like, that's crazy. Um, that's just amazing. Um, Oprah's crazy inspiring, um, as always. Um, I just, I think that it's usually people that kind of step out of their way um, to to be like, I'm creating this path for myself where, where there was no path and, you know, and, and still manage to help other people on the way. And, and, um, and that I think that's amazing and it's the kind of person that I want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know a few of us here in, uh, around us know saying when you spoke about your dad, they could just hear the love. They could just hear the love. <laughs> you want to give him a special shout out? You want to say what's up? Uh, no, it's okay. <laughs> okay. I just talked to him like five minutes ago. It's cool. <laughs> oh, okay, then. You, I, I got he a shout out. He just called me, so it's cool. <laughs> Here's another question for you from Maria in Toronto. She wants to know if you could go back in time, what would you do differently? Oof. If I would go. <laughs> I could go back in time, what would I do differently? Um, I think there's a lot of things. I think um, a lot of things just from a – I think what happens is when you grow up as a person, you look back at your old self and you're like, what the heck was I thinking? Like, why was I so immature? Um, I think that something that I've learned um, – now that I didn't know a couple of years ago, one I I I think, I mean I don't think that I I I should change anything because I feel like I I really believe that when you commit to a path, you're given everything that you need to follow that path, and and I follow my intuition a lot, so I'm proud of that. Um, but um, 
I, I think important things that I learned have been to really honor um, relationships with people, to really honor every every artistic opportunity you are ever given and treat it like this might be the last one. Not only because mm, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow or whatever, but also because you should always, 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 always do your best um, because you just never know who's watching and, and what you, you just never know. But not only because of that, but also for yourself, you know. Um, and I think it took me a while to get to a place where I was doing, um, where I was really pursuing this for the love of it and also for myself because I, I, I kind of, after I really got on the path and I started meeting so much resistance from my family because I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm an artist and that's not the norm. And I think that a lot of people who are first generation African know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And when you start beating resistance from people, um, you know, then it kind of, for me, it turned into this thing where I was trying to prove people wrong. And that I had to get off that bandwagon. Like I had this like wake up call a couple years ago where I was like, "Yo, like no, that's not what this is about. This is about me and my passion and my creativity and what I feel I've been called to do. And I feel like whatever it is that you are called to do, you have to do it, no matter how hard and annoying and painful and long suffering it may be. You have to because God put you on this planet specifically to do that thing. And I feel like I I know that I'm Whatever I'm doing right now, I'm called to do it, and I've always been so focused on that and so, like, not focused on everything else, um, which, you know, you know, I, I think you know, I think I may have not turned down a couple six-figure, you know, fashion jobs that were offered to me back in the day, <laughs> if I could go back, because, you know, I used to be very much like, oh, I'm just an artist, I don't... Yeah, but I feel like you need balance too when you're pursuing the art. When you're getting, you need to find, you need to balance yourself. And it took me a while to figure that out and figure out how to create balance for myself because I'm so gung ho about what I need to do. And so I probably would have been like, hmm, maybe I'll take that position. It's paying me pretty good, and then I can, you know. But that's me. I'm not. I'm the person who was like, no, I'm not selling out. And maybe if I had sold out, maybe I wouldn't be still doing what I'm doing. I don't know. But um. Mm-hmm. But those are those are the only things I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question from you. This one's coming from Nigeria. Her name's Miss Ogola. Oh. So, what time is it over there? My God. I know. <laughs> she wants to. She says, "Thank you for waving the flag. Thank you for waving the green and white. We love you. We appreciate you. And my question to you is: When are you ever satisfied with your work? Um. The process of creating it is what's satisfying for me. Afterwards, you know, I have moments where I look back at um, um, some of my, like, other, the films that I've done before, and I'm like, oh, God. Like, I would change this, I would change this. And I think everybody has that because you grow as an artist, and you're like, cool. Um, But I'm most satisfied with my work when I know I have done everything in my power to do my best. As long as I do that, then I know that then then there's nothing else I could do. Like, what what else can I do? At that moment, I did my best, you know? And so later, if I look at it and I'm like, mm, I could do better now, that's cool. It's cool that I can do better now. But it's okay because when I did it then, I did my best. 
She's writing another question. She's writing another response here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. She wants to ask you another question. You want okay. to take another question from Ms. O'Golan, Nigeria? Sure, yes, <laughs> please. Nigel. <laughs> she wants to know. She has a question. She says, you talked about your parents to feel the love. Do you wish they were more or less strict? More or less strict. And I think we know what spectrum she's coming from. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, I guess I, I guess I would say in what regards, like I'm a very special child. I know my parents love me. <laughs> very stubborn. So, you know, they tried to sway me off the artistic path, but it just wasn't happening. And then, um, so, um, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, they are who they are and I feel like they gave me all, any, anything that can be interpreted as negative. Oh, they gave me resistance at some points or other people in my family gave resistance all of that was for my good anyway, because it just made me stronger. It made me convict, you know, I it 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 strengthened my conviction that this is what I'm meant to do. Like you have to go through that trying period where people test you, and your family is usually, the, you know, they're usually the people that test you the most, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't I wouldn't take it all back. I wouldn't. I think that um, what I appreciate about my father, especially because he's so about integrity is that I feel a very strong, um, you know, desire to uphold that, to be someone of integrity, to, to honor my word, to be someone who's, you know, not shady in business dealings, um, you know, and, and to be someone who, um, you know, and I think integrity is important because integrity is a part of how you create what you want in the world. When your your words have more power when you are someone who honors your word. And I learned that from him, and I appreciate that so much. Um, and I, I think that, I, I think that you know, maybe they have tried to be quote unquote strict, but my personality and how stubborn I am probably, probably <laughs> derailed any <laughs> anything they tried to make me do. <laughs> so they kind of know that I'm I'm my own being at this point. <laughs> Just to- <laughs> Just to let you know, Miss <laughs> Ogola writes it again. I think you have a fan club, you know, uh, starting up over there in Niger. She says, uh, my parents are listening to your show and have decided to let me pursue acting. Oh, wow. Of what you wow, that is really, I'm really touched right now. That's amazing. Now, do you have, uh, we know we only had you for a certain amount of time. We've kind of ran over, but do you have time for three more questions? Yeah, please. All right. We have uh, Michael in Paris. We're international. Ooh, so. Wait a minute, aren't you practicing your French? I'm <laughs> so. practicing. Mm. Anything you want to say? Anything you want to say to him in French? Ça va. <laughs> okay. <laughs> d'accord, d'accord. Yeah, his question is from Michael in Paris: Is if there is one, what's the magic formula for success? Um, if there is one. First of all, there is there's definitely not a magic formula. If there was a magic formula or a pill, I would have taken it like a while ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would have done, done that. Um, it's gotta be, it's gotta be one commitment, 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 perseverance, um, and then willingness to cultivate your skill and to see yourself objectively. I think a lot of people don't see themselves objectively, and a lot of people also are lazy, so they don't want to take the time to cultivate the skills that they need. So, for instance, 
you know, I, you have this great vision. I have this great vision. I want to, I want to make this feature film. I came up with this vision uh, years ago, and I was like, yeah, I was like, so like, oh yeah, we'll make it next year. It's gonna be that easy. And it's taken a really long time to get to this point where I have the right cast. I have all the right people. I went and got more training. I went back. I went to Columbia and I went and studied like directing, producing, marketing, management. Like it's like I had to go through all of these things to get to this point. And the only way that that I can see this vi- this vision come to pass is is through has been through perseverance and commitment. And I, I think that's something that a lot of people you'll know whether or not. I mean, when you commit to a vision, or when you when I feel like because I, I feel like visions are kind of given to you, or like things that you should be doing are kind of like they come to you. And and there's that moment where it's like, okay, there's this great vision, and it seems like you want it to happen tomorrow. You you want to be impatient. You want to whatever. But here's you in the present, and like down the road, or maybe even like a couple months later, there's where the vision is. But you have to be willing every single day to walk that path in the unknown and do everything that you have to do to grow to make the vision come to pass. And some people, where they fail is they don't have the complete commitment, so they're just like, I can't do this, or they're lazy, and they're like, I know that I should do this to cultivate, you know, to cultivate my skills so that I can meet my vision, but I'm not going to. Or they're scared. Well, that's the other thing. Or they're scared. They get scared by their parents, unfortunately, or they get scared by, you know, like society puts fears on them. Oh, you need to pay your bills, so you should do this responsible thing only because – you know, if you don't do this, then whatever. It's all an illusion. The, whole, the I mean, the 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 idea of you know security is an illusion anyway. Any of us can be taken out the next day, but but we, I I feel that we're here to live our purpose, and that whatever it is that's put on your heart, it's put on your heart for a reason. And if it's it's put there, the the steps of how to get there will be presented to you if you commit to the vision and you and you're willing to do whatever you have to do. Mm. And he, also deep in what you were saying, that's why we've even been doing a show. The thing on those podcasts like, you know, motivation of life, that is deep. That is that's very inspiring, very inspiring. And anybody can tell it comes from your heart. We have another question here from the UK from Odero. Hey, I love right? UK. Yeah, he's coming to you. Uh, we'll see. Question, with all you do, if you have any, what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. If I have any. Um, <laughs> um, I work out a lot. I belly dance. Um, I was taking guitar lessons for a while, but they fell off because I have too many projects right now. I really hope I can get back to it. Trying to learn some languages. I watch a lot of movies. Um, I like hanging out in nature a lot, um, like hiking and walking in, in the woods and stuff like that. And um, what what was a hobby, but now kind of became another thing that I do is like I'm like I'm a vegan. So I have this health blog called Raw Girl in the Toxic World. So when I used to have tons of time, I used to write a lot for the blog. Um, but now not as much, but I still I've still kept it up, and people still read it and all that stuff because I love um, that's just my lifestyle. So I love like you know cooking and making new things, you know that are vegan and stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't really need to think of anything else. <laughs> Here's another question for you. It's from Sophie in Belize. She wow. wants to know, a friend wrote me about your show. I guess they're losing. I guess they have a bad connection between her and her friend in, in New York. Okay. And wants to, oh, I'm sorry, Sophie in Buffalo. <laughs> my apologies, my apologies. Oh, got you. That makes I mean, sense because that's near Ithaca. Oh, okay. Yeah. She, her question is, where can I find info about your one-woman show that you're getting ready for? That's Sophie oh. in Buffalo. Okay, yeah, it's going to be in Ithaca, New York. I don't know how far that is from Buffalo, but I'm assuming Buffalo is near Syracuse, right? And that's not Syracuse mm-hmm. is only an hour mm-hmm. away from Ithaca, so it's not mm-hmm. that far. Um, she can go online if she goes to the Actors Workshop of Ithaca website. Um, she should be able to find uh, if you Google Actor Actors Workshop of Ithaca and go under their their current season. You should be able to see Hatchup Suit um, there. Um, I know that the ticket information and all that stuff is also on Facebook. Um, Mm. And I, and I post stuff on my Facebook page. I have a Facebook page. Um, Put it out there. Put it out there if you want. Oh, right. It's www.facebook.com backslash Asosa updates. So E S O S A updates, plural. And um, I usually put updates on there. And the, I, I posted recently the flyer, which I believe also has like information um, so there, um, you should be able to find between those things. You should be able to find the information for it. I hope to see you there. <laughs> she says she'll be there. Cool. <laughs> Let's see here. We have a uh, Mercy in Ghana. Oh, we're flown on the West Coast today. Uh, Mercy in Ghana. She goes, uh, love your words. Thank you so much for inspiring me. She goes, do I have to be in New York to be a successful actress? Um. No, she didn't say L.A. She said New York. Excuse us. So. She didn't say L.A. She said New York? She said New York. So, you know, <laughs> your answer is your answer. Um, no, you don't have to be in New York. <laughs> <laughs> you could be in L.A. <laughs> um, I think it depends. I mean, I and, and actually, I don't even think you – I don't know. Like, nowadays, first of all, let, let's, let's debunk them in. Let's talk about – she's from Ghana, right? There's, like, a whole Ghana movie industry. Like, you don't even have to be in this continent to have a successful career as an actress. You just have to figure out what kind of work you want to do and what level of work you want to do, you know? Like, if you want if you want a lot of people to see your work or whatever, and you, or maybe you want to get into Ghanaian movies or maybe you want to, I don't know, or if you want to do the Hollywood thing, then maybe you should be in New York or L.A., like, to do national stuff in the U.S. But it's not, you don't have to be... I feel personally that I don't, you know, I don't have to be confined also to the, to these shores, you know what I mean? So um, I just feel like there's a lot of opportunity out there and there's a lot of different markets. So it's about figuring out what kind of work you want to do and also where you can fit in and and contribute the most. She writes back. Uh, I'm reading this thing here, right? Everybody writes, for some reason, everybody seems to be writing in shorthand text language that's the new thing hashtag (laughs) he says thank you so much thank you so much keep waving the flag um we have allison in los angeles Mm -hmm. she wants to know i am in hollywood well what are your views of hollywood being on the east coast my views of hollywood um (laughs) i don't (laughs) um (laughs) 
I like LA. I, I like California. Um, I like California because there's a lot of vegan food and it's cool. Um, and everyone's like chill and they go hiking and they're all happy because it's sunny outside. It's cool. Um, Hollywood. I mean, it it is what it is. I think it's cool. I mean, I think it's evolving. Um, it's definitely evolving. I feel like. I feel like. It, it's going to be very interesting in the next couple of years to see what happens because I feel like they're running out of good ideas. Like, why? Mm. We, it's just like remakes, remakes, mm. remakes. And I feel like, but I, but there, but then at the same time, there's so many independent filmmakers making really cool, interesting, like stuff that we haven't seen. It's just like harder. You have to look for them. You have to find them. I think it's going to be interesting uh, the way the internet's going and web content and. It's going to be interesting to see how the whole idea of Hollywood stays relevant, and in and also in in that in tandem with Hollywood, and then we have all these international movie industries that are starting to collaborate with each other and whatever. It's going to be a very interesting landscape in the next couple of years, I think. Nice. Here's another question from Jacob. He says, "What is a?" He tried to spell it, but I think I know what he's saying. What is a comedic diet? Oh, come on. <laughs> um, uh, there's a book by this guy named, I'm totally giving him a plug right now, Woo, Muata Ashby. Um, he writes about, like, ancient Egyptian stuff. Like, he has stuff on, like, you know, he has ancient Egyptian proverbs books. He has stuff about Egyptian yoga. He has a book called The Comedic Diet and kind of breaks it down. But I think he he was coming at it from a holistic perspective. So it wasn't just diet, food. It was also, like, spiritually as well um but the it's really about a um it's about um it's about eating consuming things that are as fresh as possible as live as possible give you a lot of nutrients and that aren't processed and it's also pretty much meat free as far as i know my diet's meat free but yeah it's about eating things that are not processed so um and that's i mean that's it's um it's a whole lifestyle. It really is a lifestyle because nowadays it's really hard. We just have so much um, available to us that is not even real food. So it's hard for us to understand and to discern, um, you know, what we should and shouldn't be eating. But at the end of the day, um, there are, you know, when you when you kind of go back to just natural things, um, you notice a huge difference in your energy. You notice a difference in the way you look. You're not going to age as fast. And um, and it's just, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. It's just, uh, that's the way I feel. But I also don't, I'm not one of those vegans who's walking around like, everybody should stop eating meat. You're all going to die. You know, like I'm not that person at all. Um, but if, you know, if I ever were going to eat meat, which I cannot, I just never will ever again, um, I would only eat it if 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 I was eating it like the way people do back home in Africa where they're seeing their animals and they know that they're actually organic free range and they haven't been fed a whole bunch of craziness, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important to, I mean, for me, it's it's very important personally for me to consume um things full of life force. It's part of what gives me my, my energy. So Sufi in Texas has a question for you. Sure. You know, we have about twenty eight thousand listeners and Wow. You have a lot of questions coming in. So but we only have so much of your time. So I know I keep saying we take two more, two more, but so many people are just 
are inspired by what you're saying, and you cover so much. They're just coming at me, so we'll try not to take too much of your time here. Cause, but Sufi in Texas has a question. Who would you like to work with uh, in film? Oh, wow, that's a great question. God, a lot of people. Um, a lot. <laughs> Where do I start? Um, Haile Darima, the Ethiopian filmmaker. Mm. Um, I would like to work with probably, I like Casey Lemons a lot. Um, I like to work with um, Andrew Dosanmu on another project. I think he's kind of brilliant. Um, I'd like to work with, um, hmm, Layla Jansi, the Ghanaian filmmaker. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. All of her female characters have so much depth, and she's won a ridiculous amount of African Academy Awards, rightly so, because she's a genius. Um, <sighs> who else? There's a long list in my head, and so I'm like overwhelmed about who to say. <laughs> but, um, God, I guess I can just also just blanketly say, like, too, like, um, I really, I really want to, I just, I want to work with African filmmakers, a lot of African filmmakers who are at the forefront of their craft and who are like making stories that we haven't seen yet. And um, that's part of, you know, why I list, like the people that I listed, one was African-American, one was Ethiopian, and one was a a Ghanaian woman, you see. So for me, they're all, um, you know, they're all relevant. Then there are, you know, then there are other directors that I'm obsessed with that I have no idea how I would ever work with them. I just more love their films, like Pedro Almodovar, like really? Pedro is going to put me in the movie? I love Pedro. Like, he makes my day. Um, <laughs> you know, but you know, there are people that I I love their body of work, but it's like, and then there are people that I'm like, okay, this person, like maybe I could fit in into one of their visions. But yeah, I want to work with, I want to work with um, uh, filmmakers within the diaspora that are doing amazing things, and there are like, you know, there are um, um, I really really like Gus Van Zandt. Well, I don't. I just like his, mm. him as a director. Um, there are like people in mainstream that I love a lot too, but I'm also thinking about where I fit in. You know, not to say that I could never do that other stuff, but I, there are things that I'm drawn to for political as well as like artistic reasons. Political and artistic reasons. Well, here's a question from you from Mace. Is it Macy? I'm not used to this tech stuff, <laughs> but anyway, <it's> Macy. <laughs> Uh, parts unknown, what movie would you have killed to audition for? There's a lot. Said, Thank you. <laughs> but killed to audition for? Um, <laughs> that's really intense. That, that, that kill, I guess, I guess, I don't think you meant kill like the cast is ready to get in, but <laughs> you, that, you, that you really, I guess she's asking that you really want to be in. I really want to be in the Fela Kuti movie. That hasn't been made yet. Mm. Out here really in L.A. Bad. now. Yeah. yeah, I would love to be in that movie. Um, I, I, um, I would have loved to be in um, 
Restless City, Andrew Dosamu's film, because I, th- I thought it was just brilliant and everyone looked so beautiful and everyone was African and beautiful in this amazing way. It's just incredible. Um, it was one of the most, I just, I was just so astounded by how much he captured the beauty of Africans and I just thought it was gorgeous. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah. I mean, um, hopefully more opportunities will come that, I, that I'll be like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, this is, this is a role that I would die for. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I'm the type of person that like, you know, um, I'll go after it, and if it doesn't happen, I'll make my own way. Well, it doesn't come as a surprise to our our listeners. Let me tell you, you always about making your own way. <laughs> Question from I'm trying to make it his name. Adrian, is it Adrian? Adrian, I think it's Adrian. Uh, it's interesting how you spelled this word. What Niger actors? It's interesting how you spell Niger. It's like don't use Nigerian. What Niger actors are up and coming or are here already that we should know about? Wow. Oh, okay. All right. Benga Kinagbe, Adapero Oduye, who was just in Pariah. Um, Those are, uh, then there's Sophie Okonedo and there's um, Chuatel Ejafor, more established. And um, I'm trying to think of more up and coming. There's tons of up and coming. Um, in my film, there's a the lead guy who's Nigerian. His name is Shagun Akande. He's pretty cool. He's a good actor. I'm excited about him being in my movie. Um, there's a lot of us. Just look around. You will see. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over. They're all, They're all over. And there's a lot of people who are like, you know, like half Nigerian. I saw some girl who's on that show, the new show with Don Cheeto, House of Lies. She was in the pilot forgot her name she's half nigerian and half like i don't know something else but yeah there's a lot of us they're here we're here trans africans we have six minutes left what what closing words what thoughts do you want to leave with your audience out there it's your platform you know how we get down you say what you want to say we don't edit so what uh, words do you want to leave with people? i don't know like you're making pressure um i don't know i just I guess, like, you know, because there's a lot of people that you mentioned that called in that were, that were, you know, I guess inspired, but I guess, uh, you know, to, to walk their path. And that, I guess that's, that's what I hope that I can live into and that I, I hope that I inspire other people to do. Like, you know, if God has placed a vision on your life, do whatever you have to do to make it happen while you're alive. We have a very short period of time on this planet, and I believe that we have to use the time that's given to us to to use our gifts. Don't be someone who sits at a day job, has an amazing gift, and allows that to eat away at you for the rest of your life. That is a waste of your time. For what? For security? It makes no sense. It's a waste of your life. And I feel like the only way that you can really become the person that you want to be is to live every single day like, I may not be here tomorrow, so therefore, what do I choose to do today? And I think that's, you know, that's what that, that's probably all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> that might be all you have to say, but that's a lot. That's motivating, inspiring, uh, a game changer, a, 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 
community changer, Sosa, thank you so much for coming in with us. We know we kept you beyond the time that was allowed for us, but, you know, we didn't get you fresh at the beginning because, you know, I think it was a conspiracy among the people to keep this connection from from happening. But there's a lot of questions coming in. Whenever you're available, we have to do a part two because we have a lot of questions coming in. The okay, chat no here, problem, so. my brother. Part one, part two, and, uh, part three. We will do them all. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know how we do. You know how we Nigerians do the sequel. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a lot of fun. It was awesome, and I'm I'm really happy that um we did this today. So, oh, uh, you made it happen. You know, I'm glad I made the security clearances just to get the number. So, we're going to do something a little different today. You want to pick the closeout music? You want house, reggae, or you want a little hip hop or whatever? Let's do a little reggae. Let's you know reggae. Let's yeah. see. Yeah. What- Juan, boy, I don't know what I'm going to say here. Let's see here. Let's see here. What what can we do here for the people? Let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a little old. Well, not old school for me and you because we know how it gets down. All right, people. She wants a little reggae. You know, when you, when you make a little too much noise, people come banging on the door saying, turn it down. So let's go back to the old school of uh, home tea, cocoa tea, and shop our ranks. Asosa, this is for you. Much love. Thank you for tuning in. We are out of here. All right. See ya. A father oppressor's man Like pressure plate to the soul man the man You know how to talk We are crying for the pressure, come on They want us to turn it up Turn it down so low That the people can't feel the vibe Well alright We can't stay alive They want us to turn it up They want us to turn it down so low And that the people can't feel the beer well,
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.